Come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to think about your word today, we are thankful for its clarity and we pray that you'd help us to recognise its urgency, that the things Jesus said we might be able to do. You might wake us out of our slumber if we sleep and prepare us and equip us, especially to be ready in the light of his coming. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, we've spent some weeks uh, going at a fairly careful pace through Matthew chapter 24 of this section of scripture we call the Olivet Discourse and have seen by his words the absolute necessity of being prepared for his return. It won't surprise you then to find that the same theme is found right through chapter 25, which consists of three parables that all centre upon this theme. Not the fact of his coming, not even the signs that surround his coming, which were the focus of chapter 24, but more to the point, the preparation needed for his coming. The idea, it's a simple idea, of being ready. In fact, in chapter 25, we'll find that Jesus spends a lot of time teaching about two types of people, those who are ready and those who are not, those who are prepared and those who are not. And the text before us in the ESV comes with the title of the parable of the ten virgins, which you might have in your mind and Older version of the title being the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And that's the term I'm going to use this morning, being one that I'm more used to. Now just to set the context for you again, the chapter we've just looked together the last five weeks is the most extensive teaching Jesus gives us concerning the end times. That subject that fascinates so many people. And we've seen that Matthew 24 can be viewed as two sections. On the one hand, what the disciples could expect at the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and when that was going to happen. And then what was going to happen when Jesus comes back at the end of the world. And we've seen that the destruction of the temple, Jesus spoke about that to illustrate what the end of the world would be like. And then, in effect, he told his disciples, after establishing these things, in effect, it may be a long time before I'm back again. Wait for a period of time between the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, and the end of the world. And then he told them, no man can know the day or the hour of my return. Of course, many have claimed to be able to work it out in the past and many will claim to do so. But the fact is that not only can no one know, but Jesus also said this over and over again that we ought to be ready at any moment because no one knows. You can't work out when he's going to come. 
and to drive that point home, that point of the need to be prepared. Jesus has already told us of the parable of the faithful and the unfaithful servants. And now he gives us another parable that stresses the truth that now is the time for the preparation needed for his coming. Because then will be too late. So this parable of the ten bridesmaids is one that reminds us when the day comes, it's too late to make preparation. We'll be looking at this passage this morning. I think you'll see three sections in the parable, if you'd like to have it open. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, and verses 1 to 4, you'll see the task of the bridesmaids described. In verses 5 to 10, you'll see the relative consequences of their care and their carelessness. And then verses 11 to 13, you'll see how Jesus applies the parable as reflected in what happens when the bridegroom comes and there are consequences for those who are ready and not ready. First, consider the task of these bridesmaids in verses 1 to 4. And let me set for you the context for the parable. Now, Jesus told you by referring to wedding practices in Jesus' time. Now, the Jews made much of weddings in Jesus' day. It's not like our day and age, where at most you may get some sort of gathering around the time of the rehearsal, with maybe a dinner afterward and then the wedding, and then all the celebrations that follow. In fact, Jewish weddings tended to go on for seven days after a whole year of being betrothed, which also meant that celebrations were planned during that year. And Jewish custom meant that on the night that the wedding feast was to begin, the groom would go to the home of the bride to speak to her parents who would grant her permission to go with him to the wedding feast. But as a sign of honour to their daughter, these parents would traditionally keep the groom waiting. The groom would come to the house and he would present his case to take the bride along to the wedding feast, which had been planned for the whole year, and the parents would delay him and stall him and talked to him, and the longer they delayed him, the greater the honour was bestowed upon their daughter. Maybe they were preparing him for something that he was going to experience in marriage. Given, I'm not sure about that, but I won't go there. But in this parable, as we read about the groom being delayed a long time, it wasn't because he took ages to get ready kind of the opposite for our weddings, but because the bride's parents were doing this. Stay with us. Don't go yet. She can wait. She can wait. Stay with us. And then once the parents released the bride, uh, the two would travel on foot accompanied by the groomsmen and the bridesmaids whose task was to greet the wedding party procession. And they would together parade through the darkness of the streets with their torches lit and they would make their way to the wedding feast. That's the setting of the parable that Jesus tells here. But in this case, 
some of the bridesmaids of this bride were ready for the procession and five of them were not. Five were prepared, five were not. Now, as a parable, like all of Jesus' parables, this is clearly meant to convey something that is not just about the need to be a prepared bridesmaid. The parable makes a clear distinction between these ten girls who are all in the wedding party. And J.C. Ryle says here, of all these bridesmaids, while all of them profess to have one object in view, only five were truly wise. The rest were foolish. He says the visible church of Christ is in just the same condition. All of its members are baptised in the name of Christ, but not all really hear his voice and not all follow him. All are called Christians, all profess to be of the Christian religion, but not all have the grace of the Spirit in their hearts and really what they profess to be. And so if Jesus intended this parable to reach down to us, his followers, who live in these days before the end, he would want us to glean from this that you and I must be the kind of believers who show ourselves ready for the Lord's coming. And the parable goes hand in hand with the parable to the, about the faithful and unfaithful servants we saw three weeks ago, giving a picture of the predicament that any of his disciples are going to find themselves in at the day of his return if they are unprepared. Because when that day comes, it's too late. The opportunity is now. When he comes, it's too late to act. Be prepared now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of preparation. To be prepared is to be wise. Second, uh, consider the care and the carelessness of the bridesmaids in verses 5 to 10. We're told in verse 5 that all the bridesmaids got sleepy. Now Matthew's not recording this to condemn them. He tells us that the groom has been delayed for a long time. There's no fault implied. It's very easy and very natural to get sleepy. Just me saying it might make you think, yeah, I could get sleepy right now. But notice it's the groom's delay which provides the circumstances upon which the bridesmaids are either prepared or unprepared. It's the circumstances that surround his delay by which they are judged and weighed. Bridegrooms, as we've often heard, as we've heard, are, were often late and their expected arrival times were repeatedly announced until they actually arrived. And so what differentiates these bridesmaids from each other is precisely the failure of some to face the possibility that the bridegroom may come later than expected. While some think they're going to be able to get ready when they hear the announcement and thus take the advantage of their day of opportunity, but only five were in that position to do so. Not enough oil. Not enough oil to keep the torch burning. Now these torches that the text speaks of weren't small or insignificant by any means. They had long extensions at the end that you would take to a flask that you would put 
a flask of oil in to light and these torches would be lit high so that everyone would see you coming. Attached to the end of the pole were little jars of oil. There was enough oil in each flask for about 10 to 15 minutes worth of fuel. So there may be one or more of those flasks that you had just to make sure that you got the procession with the torch burning. That's the background that accompanies the groom's arrival. And this sets a perfect illustration of what Jesus is trying to get at in the parable. While the torches had enough oil for so long, they needed more oil should a delay occur. And so there's this division between the ten. Some had extra oil, others did not. And those who did not said to those who did, come on, share some of your oil with us. And the response was, no, if I give you mine, I won't have any for myself. I'm sorry. Now you might think in the context of a wedding ceremony there might be a little bit, little bit more cooperation between the bridesmaids. But in this case I just think there's a, perhaps a lesson behind the parable. Just as saving grace is not transferable, so also preparation is not transferable. And so Jesus has this ironic exchange here where the prepared ones say, no, there's not enough oil for both of us. We've prepared for this, but you haven't. You go to the dealers and you buy some. Well, it's the middle of the night. It's hardly going to be easy to find a 7-Eleven in first century Jerusalem. So they're going to have to wake somebody up. And then, of course, the parable tells us that while they've gone off to buy the oil, to light their lamp, the bridegroom arrives. And he takes the other bridesmaids with him and they go along with the rest of the wedding party and they go into the feast and the door is shut. The time had come, that moment arrived and they were unprepared. See, preparation is not transferable. Your mother can't do it for you. Your father can't do it for you. Your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your friends, they can't get you ready for the coming of Christ. You've got to be ready yourself. And not to be ready is to be foolish. And then third, the scary part of the parable. The consequences for these bridesmaids in verses 11 to 13. In these verses, the parable begins to fade and the reality and the applications begin to surface. And note again the irony of the response of the Lord of the house. I don't know you. Now you might think to yourself, well hang on, this is a wedding, that's a bit unreasonable. But think some more about it for a moment. Transpose this parable to the present day. Let's say that you have invited a ten young ladies to be your bridesmaids, ladies, at your wedding. And the night of the wedding rehearsal comes and you've all gathered and you've all rehearsed together. And then whoever is arranging the wedding says, right, before you go, bridesmaids, I want you here tomorrow, two hours before the wedding, two hours before, with your hair done and your dresses on. 
and the wedding day comes and the hour for the bridesmaids are due, comes and they're not there. Five of them are, five of them are not and you draw closer and closer to the hour and even though five are still not there, the wedding has to go ahead at the appointed hour. And then three hours later, at the reception, the five absentee bridesmaids show up. No excuse. How do you feel about them? What would you say to them? Well, Jesus is saying that once the time of the wedding feast of the Lamb has arrived, it's too late. The door, like the door of the ark in Noah's time, was shut. You must be ready beforehand or you won't be ready at all. In this parable, as they cry out, Lord, Lord, as they're banging on the door, Lord, Lord, let us in. And the master of the house says, I don't know you. We hear the echo of Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, when Jesus says, before him will come people who say to him on the last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And what's Jesus going to say to them? I never knew you. That's one of the scariest texts in the whole of the scripture. That word knew is filled with importance. By it, Jesus not only says, I don't recognize you by sight, but it also means to say, I don't acknowledge you. You're not part of my people because I know my sheep and you're not one of them. And so for him to say, I don't know you, can only mean you never had a saving relationship with me. Never known by him. Never one of his sheep whom he knows completely. This parable, you see, is putting forth that our choices here have everlasting consequences and we must take care that we really care about the most important things, like making sure we are part of his sheep and we are known by him, that we are walking with him and he knows you and you know him. Because the return of Jesus will catch people unprepared. And unless you are actually ready, you may be one of them caught unprepared. None of us can afford to presume that we are prepared. All of us need to know and ensure beyond doubt that we are trusting in him, lest we travel on toward a destination of great disappointment and terrible loss. Well, what then of the parable and us? Maybe we should think about some of the ways by which we are tempted to lose our focus and become drowsy and fall asleep and be caught unprepared. Things that could make you sleepy. Let me mention just two. The first is shame. Shame is one of the most powerful, negative, motivating forces we feel in our lives. And most of the times when we have shame, the devil will use that and he will use shame to tempt you to do all kinds of things 
that will make you lose your focus on Christ. Maybe to work harder, to get enough money so people will respect you. Maybe to work out in the gym so that your bodies will look a certain way and people will respect you. Maybe to overspend. So we cover up whatever it is in our lives that cause us shame. Again, it's one of those things that Jesus warns us about because there are false solutions out there in the world that we derive in our own minds. And these inevitably result in unfaithfulness to Jesus. When Jesus says, bring your shame to me, confess it before me and I'll forgive you. And in my sight, all will be well. The other danger is affluence. It can make you sleepy. We begin to live as this life is all there is. And isn't the temptation strong for that? To live in this land of plenty where the poorest of our poor are still better off than almost eight-tenths of the world's population. Did you hear that? Now I well recognise this. We live in a world of financial struggles. There's hardships in this room that have not been verbalised that I don't understand. I know that. But all of us here will at least have two meals today and all of us, as far as I can see, have clothes upon our back. We are better off than most of the world's population that has ever lived and we've got even more than that. And it's hard to long for the hereafter when things are going so smoothly and so nicely here, isn't it? It's hard to long for Jesus to come back and for us to be with him forever when we've got everything we could possibly want right here, right now. Affluence is one of the most difficult things for us to overcome spiritually. It's not influenza we should be cared about, we should worry about, but affluenza, affluenza. It's a made-up term. See, the truth is, there is a lot of really good things in this life and God calls us to enjoy them in this life. But the truth has to be balanced out by this truth, that this life is not all there is. And self-denial for Jesus in this life is the only way to live. Now let me just make this clear. Whenever preachers preach on a passage like this, the constant danger is before us. We either afflict the afflicted or comfort the comforted and fail to do what Jesus calls us to do, which is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. I want that to be our application. You need to examine yourselves. For Jesus is calling you to determine if you are really his. And if so, are you ready to meet him? And how do we note if you are ready to meet him? We'll note who gets the thumbs up and who gets the thumbs down. You know the answer. It was the wise bridesmaids and not the foolish ones who were commended by him. And they were wise in their choices, in their thinking, in their planning, in their actions, proving themselves the kind of people who will be welcome to the feast. See, wisdom in the Bible is simply the skillful application of God's word to everyday living. 
It consists of weighing up every action, every word, every deed and asking, will this action, will this word, will this deed make me more or less prepared to meet with Christ? Will it increase my spiritual zeal for him or will it put me in a bypath so that I will have need to be ashamed when he comes? Wisdom means living in such a way that we can stand without shame before Jesus when he returns, if he returned at any moment. Does that describe you? Can you look yourself in the eye, in the mirror and say, I've done nothing this week to bring shame upon my life. I'm ready now to meet Jesus should he come or should I be called. Bishop Ryle, on getting up every morning, would look out the window and say, Perhaps today, Lord, perhaps today. And before he went to bed every night, he'd go to the same window and say, perhaps tonight, Lord, perhaps tonight. Think carefully on who is coming. It's the bridegroom. It's the one that we love who loved us first. It's his voice we want to hear. It's his face that we want to see. And if you belong to him, regardless of your gender, you are his bride. The very object of his loving, redemptive purchase upon the cross For my Saviour loved me so, he will hold me fast. Prove to be wise, be ready, for he comes at an hour you do not know. Let's pray. Lord our God, With these words of the parable before us this morning and this urgency of which Jesus spoke, we would submit ourselves to you, acknowledging that always we are asked in the scriptures whether we are wise or foolish. Help us to make wise choices. Help us to be wise in the context of what we read in this parable, prepared and ready, lamps trimmed, everything needed in case there is a delay so that we might have no fear at his coming and we might not slacken off even though he has been delayed. We entrust the delay to you because you know the hour and the day of his arrival. And we pray, thinking about our choices and ourselves and our shame and our affluence, that you would help us to stay awake and be ready for the bridegroom's voice.
This we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.